0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Frank Sampson, and I serve as one of the elders in this church. It is so good to see all of you. I thank God for giving me this opportunity of bringing to you God's word this morning. It is indeed a great privilege. So before we begin, let us go to the Lord one more time in prayer. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Open our hearts and minds this morning and give us grace to understand what your word says. Instruct us through your word so that our lives will be transformed to the likeness of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear friends, have you ever felt that you have been rejected by God when you did not find a visible answer to your prayers? Let me ask that question again. Have you ever felt that you have been rejected by God when you did not find a visible answer to your prayers? Some of you may have come here this morning with, with, with that feeling in your heart and you're burdened, maybe because it is of your health problems, or maybe you just lost your job. Maybe there's discord in your family, or maybe you're facing some form of persecution at your workplace. Perhaps you're greatly distressed because of a particular sin in your life, and you feel that there is no hope for you. You may have even prayed about it, and yet your problems persist. And you find no answer to your prayers. And you begin to feel that God has rejected you. I know how that feels, because at different points in my life, I have been there myself. Sometimes I struggle with it even now. My wife Sneha has been struggling with chronic health issues for 20 plus years. And I too have been going through some of the challenges in terms of my health and my business. There were many days when I found myself in much distress with no joy in my heart. I felt hopeless and wondered if God has rejected me, even though I know. My God is faithful and merciful. So the question is, can good and faithful Christians struggle with feelings of rejection by God? Even when they don't find an answer to their problems? The answer is yes. Our sermon passage for today is Psalm 43. And in it you'll find the story of such a person who knew God but he had no joy and hope within him. Psalm 43 is a continuation of Psalm 42, which our pastor Dave Furman preached a few years ago. Dave's main point of Psalm 42 was our fight for joy in the midst of adversities. To enable us to understand the setting of Psalm 43, I would like to read for you Psalm 42, verses 1 to 4. And I will be referring to this psalm a few times in the course of this message. Psalm 42, verses 1 to 4, and you may open your Bibles and read it if you have it with you. Psalm 42, verses 1 to 4. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. And the psalm ends on verse 11, with the psalmist talking to himself and addressing his soul with the exact words, that you will find in verse 5 of Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? The psalmist is a faithful worshiper who is not able to worship God because of oppression. He is distressed and his soul is cast down. Quite often, our daily cares tend to bring us down with despair and despondency or dejection, and a soul is cast down and it is in turmoil. Today, we will continue considering our fight for joy in the midst of adversity through an understanding of Psalm 43. I have one main theme of the sermon hope in God in the midst of suffering. Hope in God in the midst of suffering. And I have three points to explain this. First, the cry of the oppressed man, verses 1 and 2. Second, the desire of the oppressed man, verses 3 and 4. And three, the hope of the oppressed man, verse 5. Point one, the cry of the oppressed man, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist begins the psalm with a plea You can see from the tone of his voice that he is much distressed and he is troubled because he is being accused of something. From Psalm 42, verses 1 to 4, we understand that he was not able to worship God. He was being mocked for his faith in Yahweh. The psalmist is burdened with this accusation. In Psalm 43, verse 1, we notice that he does not go to his accusers to defend himself or to declare himself innocent or even seek relief. Instead, he makes his plea to God. Verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. The psalmist is asking God to vindicate him. Vindicate means... To prove someone as innocent. From the text we see that he's asking God to defend his cause. Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2 points us to that cause that the psalmist refers, is referring to here in verse 1. It is his desire to meet with God and to be able to worship him. But his oppressors taunt him saying, where is your God? The psalmist is overwhelmed. He feels helpless, and he knows that he needs God's help to defend him from his oppressors. Dear people, are you in despair? Do you feel dejected and without hope because of your difficult circumstances? When this happens in your life, who do you turn to first? From whom do you seek relief? Have you turned to God in prayer? Often, we turn everywhere else, and last of all, we turn to God. Prayer is your means to communicate with God. You can see in the Bible many examples of people who turned to God when they were in difficulties. For example, Daniel. Also, Esther. And even Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. Consider the psalmist. He understood that he needed help and he approached God with this problem. Verse 8 of Psalm 42 says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. From this verse, we understand that the psalmist knows who God is. As he has experienced God's love and the joy of knowing him, And this led him to approach God and to seek refuge in him. But his problems don't seem to have been resolved here. So he has got questions for God. Verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? The psalmist is troubled. He is thinking that God has rejected him. The psalmist is certainly aware of Israel's history. He knows that in the past, God has heard the cries of his people many times and has responded to to them, especially when they were in bondage in Egypt. He has heard of the parting of the Red Sea. He has heard of the manna in the desert and the victories of Israel over various enemies. In view of all these, the psalmist is unable to comprehend God's silence. He expected God to show him a visible vindication or a visible defense of his cause. He wanted to see something visible. But that did not happen. And he was in despair and in mourning. Sometimes, we approach God with an expectation in our heart. In that situation, our thought process could probably sound something like this. I have prayed, I have obeyed, and I have trusted God. So God should do his part in answering me in the way I deserve to be answered. Do you see how self-focused this mindset is? It most certainly leads to self-focused prayers. It's all about us. Verses 1 and 2 are all about the psalmist and his problems, his perspective of those problems and his expectations of God. So what does it take to change our focus from ourselves to focusing on God? This brings us to our second point for today. The desire of the oppressed man, verses 3 and 4. Here you see that there is a change in the direction of the prayer of the psalmist. He's no longer focusing on himself. He's now focusing on God. Verse 3 and 4. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with lyre, O God, my God. In verse 3, the psalmist is desiring to be led to the holy hill, which is the dwelling place of the Lord. But he's unable to do so because of oppression. A common experience of people who are oppressed is depression and despair. And this most often leads to a spiritual darkness. It is more likely that the psalmist here also experiences a spiritual darkness and he is unable to see God's love and faithfulness that he spoke of in verse 8 of Psalm 42. This spiritual darkness is so dark that only a divine light from God can cast away this darkness. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. It is clear from this verse that God is the divine light. This is also how David prays in Second Samuel chapter 22, verse 29. He prays, "For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness." The psalmist has probably heard of these prayers of the faithful who have gone before him. In verse three, the psalmist is asking for this light from God to shine forth on him. He now longs for God to illumine his darkened heart and to lead him to the place where God dwells. He continues, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. He now seeks to know about God. He wants to know his ways and he wants to understand God through his word. He wants to have a true understanding of what God's word means for him, which is the truth. Psalm 86, 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. God's light and truth changes the psalmist from focusing on himself to focusing on God. He is no longer talking of his woes and his struggles His desire to be vindicated and to be delivered from the unjust man is now taking a back seat. He now has a desire to go to the altar of God whom he describes as his exceeding joy. The altar is a place where one offers sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving as well as atonement for the forgiveness of sins. The psalmist now to his delight enjoys the presence of God and is mourning is turned to immense joy. This causes his heart to burst out with praise and worship. Note that even at this point, he does not say that his troubles are over. His problems are probably still there. But in the midst of this, he finds joy in God alone as he sought God's light and truth. Verses 1 and 2 portrayed a psalmist who was in distress. He prayed a self-focused prayer. In verse 3 and 4, the psalmist prays a God-focused prayer and he finds God as his exceeding joy. Distressed plea is now replaced with songs of praises with the lyre. A self-focused view leads to despair and mourning. A God-focused view will enable you to find joy even in the midst of your adversities. Let me say that again. A self-focused view leads to despair and mourning. A God-focused view will enable us to find joy even in the midst of our sufferings. The psalmist did exactly that and in the midst of his due for joy, he now talks to his soul with a reassuring tone. That leads us to our third point for today. The hope of the oppressed man. Verse 5. Why are you cast down O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In verse 5, he still has questions. But this time, it is rhetorical. A rhetorical question is one that contains the answer in itself. If we were to rephrase verse 5, it would sound something like this. Don't be cast down, O my soul. There is no reason for you to be in turmoil. Hope in God, and I shall praise him, for he is my God, my salvation, and my God. The psalmist found the answer in God's light and truth. Because apart from God's light and truth, he was troubled and he was in despair. But now he has found his hope in God, who is his salvation. He feels encouraged, and he encourages his own soul. Dear Christians, I wonder how many of us here are walking this journey that the psalmist walked. If you are here this morning, and you are troubled, and you lack joy in your heart, let this psalm encourage you you, and let you know that there is hope for you. I spoke earlier of my personal challenges. These were very difficult moments for me. But I thank God that by his grace, he enabled me to seek him and treasure Jesus above all else. But my problems did not go away. Instead, I found peace and joy even in the midst of my sufferings. I no longer felt separation or rejection from God. How did this change come about in me? I sought the Lord and I asked him to help me with my problems. And I asked him for wisdom so that I can understand his ways. He pointed me to his faithfulness and his mercy and his love by reminding me the gospel of grace that I received in Christ Jesus. He reminded me that as much as I have received grace from him freely, I need to give that grace to my oppressors freely. I confess that this was very, very hard for me. But God, who is forever faithful, He helped me and He sustained me. He reminded me that it was by His grace and mercy alone that I have received the free and eternal gift of salvation in Christ. Everything else was temporary and will fade away. How can I not have joy in my heart when I received this glorious gift of salvation in Christ? How can I not magnify God above all things for the great love that He has shown me? I realized that even if I don't see a visible response to my prayers, God still hears me and He answers me with His grace that is sufficient to sustain me. With this realization, my focus moved away from my problems and rested on the promises of God. He is faithful. My problems are still there even today. My wife still struggles with health issues. But my problems don't matter anymore. They have become insignificant when I compared them to the great God that we have. He is our exceeding joy. Dear fellow Christians, remind yourself of the gospel. Praise God and worship Him even in the midst of your sufferings. Trust God and rely on Him even if you don't see your problem solved. Remind yourself that you have a faithful God who is out there to help you. He's working to refine you and to bring you to himself. Do what the psalmist did. He fought an earthly adversity by focusing on the eternal joy of knowing God and worshiping him. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Dear Christians, fix your gaze on Jesus and you will see only him. Your heart and your lips will praise him, and he will be your exceeding joy. Adversity is a part of life, it is the result of the fallen nature of man. Our lives are temporary, and so will be our adversities. Salvation in Christ alone is for eternity. Set your eyes on what is eternal. Let me repeat that again. Our lives are temporary, and so will be our adversities. Salvation in Christ alone is for eternity set your eyes upon what is eternal. Those of you who are here this morning and have not yet put your faith in Christ, let me share with you the good news of the gospel of Christ. What I'm going to tell you is not a formula to enable you to tide you over your difficulties or to solve your problems. The gospel, when you accept it, It will bring you hope in the midst of your difficulties. Your greatest adversity is not your difficult circumstances. You face a greater adversity that will destroy you eternally. And that is separation from God because of sin. One more time. Your greatest adversity is not your difficult circumstances. You face a greater adversity that will destroy you eternally and that is separation from God because of sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me explain to you this gospel of Christ. God is our creator. And he created man in his image. His image is one of holiness and righteousness. But man disobeyed God and sinned against this holy God. There cannot be any sin in the presence of God. So God rejected man and cast him away from his presence. Man and God were separated. The relationship was broken. Man was in spiritual darkness because of his sin. Away from God's truth and God's light. Because of sin, man was condemned without any hope to an eternal judgment. This is bad news for us. But here is the good news. God loved us even as we were sinners, and in his mercy and wisdom sent his Son Jesus Christ to atone for our sins and to rescue us from this eternal judgment. Jesus, the Son of God, yet fully God and fully human, he was the only one who ever lived without any sin. Yet he was separated from God as God's wrath was poured upon him, the wrath that you and I deserved. He died the death of a sinner that we should have died. On the third day, God raised him up from the dead and he now lives and is seated at the right hand of God. The wrath of God was satisfied. Jesus died and rose again to live eternally so that we can live with him in eternity. My dear people, All you need to do is to repent and to believe in him. Lay your sins upon him, for he has already borne the punishment that you and I deserved. He was atoning sacrifice for the remission of our sins. There is no one else qualified to do this, and no one else ever will be. John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that Lamb, who sacrificed himself, And now offers you salvation. There is no other way to be saved except through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Repent and believe and he will reconcile you back to your heavenly father. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the good news and the best news that you can ever expect. This is your hope. Christ's death and resurrection is sufficient to justify you and to declare you innocent before our Heavenly Father. If this is the first time you are hearing this good news, dear friends, it is not too late for you. Turn to Jesus now and repent of his sins and believe in him, even here at this moment where you are seated. Dear Christians, when your soul is cast down, and in turmoil within you, and you feel that you have been rejected by God, look to the cross and remind yourself that there is eternal hope for you in Christ, and let that cause you to praise him. There is no need for your soul to be cast down. You have Jesus as your exceeding joy and your salvation. Let this hope encourage you. As I was preparing for the sermon, I looked at my life and the adversities that I struggled with. I remembered some of the practical steps that I took that helped me. And I would like to share five of those, of those steps with you and hope that you are encouraged. Number one, remind yourself of the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself and let the gospel magnify God in your life so that your problems seem insignificant. Number two, focus on Jesus and pray. Jesus is the only light that you need when darkness fills in all around you. Take your needs to him. Pray that you would glorify God even in the midst of your difficult circumstances. Three, read the word. God has given us his word that points us to himself. Read his word for that is the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Let Jesus, who is the truth, lead you through your difficult moments. Four, find satisfaction in God. God is sovereign over all things, even when things are difficult. Be content and satisfied in God. And trust that His plans for you are to bring Him glory and to prosper you in the knowledge and love of who He is. Five, think of praiseworthy things. Think of all the times that you have seen God's faithfulness in your life. And let these thoughts cause your hearts to praise Him and to rejoice in Him. As we come to a close, I urge you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, in the midst of adversities, fix your eyes on Jesus, even if your problems are not resolved. Seek His light and His truth, and ask yourself this rhetorical and assuring question Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? In the midst of your adversities, God is your hope, your exceeding joy, and your salvation. Let me encourage you with the prayer of Habakkuk, who prayed this prayer in the midst of adversity. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no hurt in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, whatever be your situation, whatever be the difficulties you are facing, put your hope in God. He will never disappoint you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your light and truth. Help us to see your faithfulness. Help us to love you and trust you at all times and in all circumstances. Help us to rejoice in you and grant that we will make much of you and not of our circumstances. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God for the certain hope that we have